We're halfway through the school year, and no matter how many years I do this, I always feel the same excitement around a fresh start and trying new things. There are certain parts of my routine that I like coming back to, things I like to keep the same, but there are always a few things that I'm ready to change in my teaching when that new school year rolls around. I've learned a few things over the past few years, and asking the questions, what's working and what's not working, always provides a sense of clarity on what I can change and how I can improve things in the year ahead. All that being said, I'm trying a few new things this year in my studio, and today I want to share them with you. I'm taking you behind the scenes of my studio to give you an inside look at how I organize things, the systems I have in place, and a few new things that I've been trying so far this year. I'm Ashley Danu, and you're listening to Field Notes on Music Teaching and Learning. Writing field notes is a way of documenting and processing what we see in the world. This podcast is a collection of creative ideas, practical strategies, and thoughtful observations from the field of music teaching and learning. Here you'll find creative and pedagogically sound teaching tips, fresh new approaches you can use in your ministry and teaching, and insight into a few tried and true systems and creative processes designed to help you do your best work. Let's get started. I don't know about you, but I tend to get to a certain point in the year where I become really aware of the systems and processes that I have in place to help keep my life and business organized. Usually this happens at one of two times. The first time it hits is right around the first of the calendar year after the rush of the holidays when I'm craving quiet, simplicity, clarity, and less clutter. The second time is usually over the summer in those final weeks before school starts as I'm trying to prepare and communicate with parents, organize my schedule. At these times of the year, it becomes really clear to me what's working in my life and business and what's not. Here's an example. What's working? Teaching four days a week and taking Fridays to work from home. Billing by the semester rather than the month, so each monthly payment is the same. This way it's easier for parents to keep track of. It allows me to have a consistent income also throughout the semester. And using an online invoicing software to create, send, and manage invoices. What's not working? Scheduling makeup lessons during the semester. I got to a point where I didn't have enough availability even in my schedule to teach makeups, and I ended up teaching on school holidays and during vacation weeks to try to catch up last year. Also, having invoices due by the first lesson of the month. This meant that everyone had a different due date for their tuition payment, and if school was canceled or someone had to miss a lesson, then they didn't pay until a week later. And also researching new repertoire at an appropriate level every time a student needs a new book. These were my pain points, things that caused frustration or made me feel like I was spending an unnecessary amount of time on administrative work each week. The solution? A few new strategies and systems in place from the beginning of the school year. Number one, a flex week for makeup lessons. I decided to call the last week of each semester a flex week, designed specifically for makeups. So basically, if a student needs to cancel 
with more than 24 hours notice, or if school is closed due to weather, which happens a lot in Rochester, I'll just say, um, I give one lesson per student per semester that can be made up during this flex week. The beauty of this model is that students keep their regular lesson day and time, and I simply don't count this week in their tuition. So it's like a regular week of teaching for me. It's not counted in their tuition, so if they needed a makeup from sometime during this semester, then they can have that during the flex week. If they aren't owed a makeup, they can still have a lesson during flex week, and the tuition will just be added to the following term. This means no more makeup lessons during the semester. No more teaching on school holidays or during break weeks trying to catch up. There's a makeup lesson for every student automatically built in to each semester. Number two, new studio policies and payment due dates. I finally took time to outline what was really important to me in my studio policies and update some things that were unclear or that were causing frustration for all of us during the year. A quick highlight of some of the new things that I added. Every student will be offered one makeup lesson per term. That's fall, spring, and summer. This is the same as in previous years. However, as I just mentioned, that one makeup lesson will be automatically built into the fall and the spring schedule during what I'm calling the flex week, basically the last week of the semester. Snow days are a fact of life when you live in the Northeast, and since I teach at a school, I'm at the mercy of last-minute cancellations. I've always struggled a little bit with what to do for snow days and other weather-related closures. Do I forfeit a whole day of income every time that happens? Should the parents still be expected to pay? I mean, it's no one's fault, so it doesn't feel fair to charge families for lessons in these circumstances. So my new policies state that if school or after-school activities are canceled, lessons will also be canceled. I will offer makeup lessons if I happen to have openings during the week from other students canceling for whatever reasons, or the lesson can be made up during flex week if no other makeup lessons are owed, or I'll simply apply a lesson credit to their next invoice. So there are a few different ways that we can account for those snow days and weather closures that might come up. And finally, all tuition payments are due by the first of the month rather than by the first lesson of the month, which would vary by student. Also, to encourage families to pay on time each month, I added a small notice about late fees. This hasn't been a huge issue for me in the past, but I have on occasion had anywhere from one to four families that are running behind on their payments. Things like, oh, I forgot my checkbook today. Can I pay you next week? Or I accidentally sent a check through my bank instead of paying through PayPal, so you should expect to see it in about a week. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's not even about making excuses, they just forget to pay. Now, if tuition is more than five days late, a $15 late fee will be added to their account and will show up on their next invoice. The third thing I'm doing differently this year is creating a master repertoire list that's organized by level. I am perhaps most excited about this one. I realized at the beginning of this school year that I spend a lot of time researching new books for students. I like to choose method books and supplemental repertoire that will really resonate with each individual child. 
As such, I use Faber Piano Adventures for some students and Music Tree for a few others and Piano Pronto for one or two more. I use Supplemental Repertoire by Robert Vandal and Martha Meir, Jennifer Eklund, Chrissy Ricker, Andrea Dow, and John George. And every time a student finishes one book and is in need of another, I put on my researcher hat and I review a selection of books so I can make my best recommendation to the parent. This all sounds great, right? But I realized that I was duplicating my efforts when I do the research for three different students and come up with the same five level three books to choose from them. Why not just make a master list of all my favorite supplemental books that's organized by level? These are the ones that I recommend most to parents. So it still gives me the ability to recommend unique repertoire so all my students aren't playing from the same books but it also saves me time looking up links on Amazon and Sheet Music Plus every time that I need to send a book recommendation. And it ensures that I'm recommending books that will really complement each student's current playing levels and abilities. So I started writing down every book that I've recommended to students over the years and sorting them by level so I don't have to figure that out every time. When I say level, I'm referring roughly to the RCM, the Royal Conservatory of Music, the music development program levels. I like to reference their Piano Syllabus 2015 edition throughout the year to kind of get a sense of where my students are and make sure that they're developing technique and musicianship skills that match the level of the repertoire that they're playing. So next time a student needs a new book, which with 22 students is more often than you might think, I'll have a go-to list with product links that are ready to go, ready to pull from. And the fourth thing I'm doing this year is keeping a teacher notebook. When I first started teaching piano, I used to keep a teaching notebook. It was basically a place to jot down reminders for myself about what to bring to next week's lesson or what I wanted to make sure I heard first the next week. Any notes about reviewing intervals or sight reading or reminding myself to look up a new book for this student. Sometimes I'd actually make a list of the pieces that I heard in each lesson so that I had a starting point for teaching that student the following week, especially in case the student didn't bring their assignment book, then at least I'd have a record of what we touched on last week. However, I'm trying to find a few ways to write less in lessons so I can be more actively engaged with the student And since writing in their assignment book takes up a portion of time already, I'm reserving my teacher notebook for things like repertoire lists and notes to self. So far, this has been a really, really helpful way to keep track of everyone, to chart their progress, to manage my schedule, especially on weeks where I'm teaching buddy lessons or studio classes and my schedule is a little different than normal, and also not let reminders or to-dos slip through the cracks. You know when a parent stops you at the end of lesson and says, oh, can you email me such and such? I can't find it. I know you sent it to me. You know, would you mind sending it again? And of course you say, sure, be happy to. And then the whole rest of your teaching afternoon goes by and you get home and you've totally forgotten that you ever had that conversation. That's happened to me a couple of times and I'll think of it the next day or two days later, maybe. Uh, But now I can write those things down in my teacher notebook and keep track of emails that I said I would send or things I said I would do. So there you have it. Four things that I'm doing differently in my studio this year. 
I hope this is helpful to you in your studio teaching, and I hope it inspires you to mix things up from time to time and reevaluate your systems and your strategies to make sure that they're really working for you and not the other way around. What's something new that you're trying in your studio this year? Thanks so much for listening today. For written notes, related links, and more information on today's topic, visit ashleydanu.com slash fieldnotes. You can find me on Instagram at ashleydanu and at ashleydanublog on Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean so much if you'd leave a review in Apple Podcasts. This will help others discover this content in the future. Plus, I'd love to hear what you like about the series and if there's anything specific you'd like to hear more of in the future. Again, thanks so much for tuning in today. See you next time.